0: I think having great math and science skills are important, but they're not a full package. Of course, you have to have the math and science or you have to have transferable skills that will work. The analogy I always use is, I would take the passionate person who I could drop into a textile mill in the middle of the Midwest somewhere, and that person will figure it out. I'd rather have that than the person with the exact academic background.
1: Welcome to The Data Chief. The Data Chief is a podcast for data and analytics leaders to share their personal stories and insights on technology, culture, and leadership. For years, businesses have prioritized academic background and domain expertise when searching for talent, matching current skills to job recs with little regard for candidate aptitude, but according to EWOW Fusillo, Chief Data and Analytics Officer at General Motors, this is an outdated strategy. EWOW has led and developed data and analytics teams across multiple verticals, including finance and sports. In his experience, the secret to building successful and diverse teams is assessing passion too. Fusillo, a data and analytics veteran, with prior stops in the NFL and American Express, now leads GM's program for enterprise-wide analytics and data science. In this episode of Data Chief, EWOW joins Cindy to discuss how data and analytics are fueling the future of General Motors, advice for structuring and scaling data teams, and how GM's newly founded Data and Analytics Academy is fostering data literacy across the organization. Enjoy. Enjoy. Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people from companies like Walmart, Hulu, Schneider Electric, Cloud Academy, and Mercado use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights
2: and turn them into action. You can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. E-wow, welcome to the Data Chief.
0: Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Looking yeah. forward to a great conversation.
2: I am, too. Now, where are you joining us from, UW?
0: Well, today I'm joining you from New York. Uh, so I live right outside of New York City in the suburbs. Uh, but I do split my time uh, between New York and Detroit.
2: Okay. So you are living proof. So you're in my backyard sort of, but you're living proof of this work from anywhere model.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'd love to have a dialogue on that as well throughout.
2: Oh, we we will because talent, (laughs) recruiting talent in this space is increasingly hard. But Iwau, I know what's top of mind for everyone. And my neighbor is actually a GM dealer, a multi-generational GM dealer, sure, what is data telling you about the demand for new cars right now?
0: Yeah, you know it's uh, you you look at the data and uh, the demand has never been higher. I mean, you you know you look and I'm talking more at an industry level, you know the demand for cars, both new and used, you know it's through the roof, so that that's great, right? Consumer demand for automobiles, for goods and services. Continue to be there. That was certainly a worry for many of us, right, throughout the uh, the pandemic. But uh, demand is good.
2: <laughs> yeah, and demand is great. Availability is tight. And what <laughs> we know is that some of this is the chip shortage. Some of this is the supply chain issues. Sure. Has data been able to give you any early warning indicators about what the next bottleneck? Will be, or um, are things just moving too too quickly and such unprecedented problems?
0: Oh, it's a great point. Uh, your broader point in how we use data uh, as part of our manufacturing process and uh, our supplier and supplier validation process we've We've done that uh, for a long time. Other OEMs have been have been doing that for a long time as well. You know I think at the end of the day, it's just very hard. Uh, it's a fluid situation. It's very hard to predict uh, one-off situations like this. But you know, my hats off to uh, to the full team at GM. They're doing a great job dealing with uh, you know the craziness of, uh, of of all the supply chain issues. That uh, it's not just us, but it's the entire industry and multiple industries. Yeah. Right. You look at consumer electronics. Guess what? Uh, it took me a whole lot of time to get my iPhone. By the way. I got the iPhone 13. I love it. Took a month.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the iPhone is one thing, but even electronics, we never imagined having to have almost every student in so many places having their own laptops to do schooling. This is true. So it is unusual times. <laughs> and Ewa, you've been in your role since your new role as chief data and analytics officer at GM in December, 2020. Yes. But if I look at your career, <laughs> let's say some of the most exciting industries, financial services, Amex, football at the NFL, and now cars. So money, football, cars. How has this varied career prepared you for this current role?
0: Great, great question. Uh, I'll, I'll start in my childhood. Uh, Cindy. Uh, I'm a lifelong auto enthusiast. Even as a two-year-old child, uh, I used crayons to draw nothing but tires. Uh, and, and I'm not exaggerating here. My teachers at one point were a little worried about this kid who would draw nothing but tires as a two-year-old. So uh, back in the 80s, uh, actually, I was uh, a summer intern engineer here at General Motors. And so it should Come as no surprise to you, I was so proud to become a part of GM. To this day, I still have the original paper copy of my offer letter. Wow. And you know what I would say is, you know you talked about my background going back to financial services. Why would someone who's such a car buff uh, and started you know, his, his career at, at General Motors as an engineer, how, how in the world did you end up in financial services? I credit some of that to the generosity of, of our GM leaders as mentors. So I had a mentor, even as a summer intern, who suggested, maybe you should get a business degree. Maybe you should get uh, an MBA. And I did just that. Uh, you know, I had a real heart to heart with that, uh, that leader. His name, name was Steve Crane. I still remember his name all well, these years later. And I went to Columbia University in New York City. And that, was right about the time of the 1987 stock market crash. So all of my classmates were from banking. <laughs> so when I graduated, I said, you know, I live in New York City. I have easy access uh, to roles in, in New York City, particularly in banking. I said, why don't I try this for a short while? So I joined J P Morgan Chase uh, and then American Express. And all of a sudden, that short while became... 30 years. And at American Express, as you know, I I did build their data and analytics function. I actually built it twice for them. Uh, And then in 2018, as you pointed out, the NFL asked me uh, to join them and also build over the course of three super exciting seasons with the NFL, (laughs) including the COVID season last year, I was able to build that data program for them as well. But here's what I would tell you. I was a competent, finance executive, but I never had any particular passion for financial services products. And I became a fan of football during my three seasons with the NFL, but that was a learned passion, not an innate passion. So that one fine day last fall where I got a call from General Motors to take on that dream job that I have today, it really returns me uh, to, to my true passion. And I really feel um, it's also such a unique time to be in the automotive industry because automotive and tech are coming together. So as I sit here today as GM's chief data and analytics officer, uh, I really do feel that data and analytics are fueling GM's future, our all electric, zero emissions future. And being responsible for a program of enterprise-wide analytics Uh, top tier data science capabilities in an industry that I've got such passion about is just, it's a big one for me. Uh, So thanks for that question.
2: Yeah. No, it's fascinating the way you've come back to your passion and combining data and analytics with your passion for cars, I think, is a beautiful thing. Okay, the learned passion for football. Um, am I allowed to ask you who your team is?
0: Yes, you are.
2: Okay, go ahead.
0: Although I'll, g- I'll give you a quick uh, funny anecdote. When, when the league was out there hiring uh, for a head of data and analytics, because it was a de novo stand up, one of the criteria was to hire someone who wasn't necessarily all that passionate about a particular team.
2: Oh, yeah, that (laughs) Uh, probably
0: helps. Because the idea was we wanted to have a very team agnostic implementation. Uh, But my learned passion has made me a a fan of the Buffalo Bills. Oh, interesting. So I'm a huge Buffalo Bills fan. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so (laughs) you're coming from New York um, and (laughs) let's say GM in Detroit. Well, so we... We have a player at the Lions, so we might have to convert you to a couple. For sure. But I I also think what's interesting is that the NFL recruited outside the industry. Yes. And there is a lot of this going on to force people to think differently. Do you think that's also part of you had your passion for cars, but is it coming from financial services which we would say is historically more mature than manufacturing and automotive. Do you think that was part of the um, thinking?
0: That was definitely part of the thinking. To your point, financial services, healthcare, to a lesser extent, telecom have been in and around data and analytics as part of the corporate process for many, many years. Um, and, And that's great. I think the NFL uh, bringing me on to start their data program had a lot of uh, foresight when you think about being able to take these transferable skills from financial services and to build a world-class data program. Because I, I would say the NFL really uh, has an awesome, awesome data program now. And so I you know, 100% agree with, uh, with your take on that. Uh, I think at General Motors, it's, uh, it's actually a two-pronged uh, assessment, and it goes back to what I was saying earlier about manufacturing. You know, I I, I was an engineer. I was an engineer in uh, General Motors Advanced Product Design Group back in the 80s. Data science didn't exist, right? Data storage and compute power uh, was insufficient to actually support that as a as a discipline. But when you think about the roots of data and analytics within automotive. It actually came very much from the engineering, manufacturing, uh, supplier development disciplines. So as I look today at General Motors, I would say data and analytics, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, extremely advanced in those areas. And it's really bringing a lot of those data and analytic uh, learnings and disciplines to other functions like sales and marketing. So it's a natural evolution. If you think about the NFL, and you know this as a football fan, data and analytics have, in, have been in and around the game side of the business for 100 years, right? This goes back to uh, you know, the, the early days of uh, Michael Lewis and uh, Moneyball, right? That was a long time ago that Michael Lewis was writing about the use of data and analytics on the game side. It's a relatively recent phenomenon, uh, in fact, to bring that to the corporate side, particularly from a fan engagement, customer development, and customer engagement perspective. So, you know, I, th- I think there's a lot of potential there. It's very, very exciting.
2: Yeah, there's more and more data out there. If we focus on GM and your comment about how data and analytics and technology is really part of GM's future. There was a quote from Mary Barra with a vision, a mission of zero crashes, zero emissions, zero congestion, and how this has really been a rallying point. Yes. And I saw you posted on LinkedIn <laughs> about a 1200, 1,200 data professionals across 25 teams. How has, let's say Mary or the companies? mission and vision bubbled down and been a rallying point for the data teams or for your data
0: strategy I would start with what what i've seen as the must-have skills for leaders in, in today's world so i'm going to go back a little bit uh, and then bring it forward to the automotive example I go back to when I Graduated business school as I was saying earlier. I joined J.P. Morgan Chase. I was a fi- finance professional, uh, you know, a junior analyst in uh, in in their finance program, and I witnessed very directly how understanding finance and P and L management could power better decisions at the leadership level in any function. But what what I found very curious was that very few CFOs. This was back in 1990 were being tapped for CEO positions. And I said, that's uh, interesting, but I bet over the next decade that would change. And sure enough, it did. Right. So today, if we were to look back, very, very common for CFOs to move into CEO positions. Uh, I believe the same is true and will continue to be true from a data literacy perspective. So I think... As data and analytics mature over the next decade, as AI continues to mature probably over the next couple of decades, uh, I think chief data officers, chief analytic officers will in fact be tapped more for these uh, CEO positions, uh, independent board positions, et cetera. And many more functions will be led by data savvy senior executives. Back to your point on the 1300. I am GM's data evangelist, uh, and I do lead a community of over 1,300 data and alert professionals. And more recently, we held our second annual AI summit here at GM. And so now I'm the community leader for over 1,100 AI professionals here. And I remember describing this to Mary uh, Barra earlier this week, we create these communities here at GM to share best practices. To your point, we're taking many of the vision messages from Mary and her senior leadership team to build these communities, to create career paths. But I will tell you, the number one thing I I talked to Mary and her leadership team about, her senior leadership team about, is attracting talent. The main reason we create these communities of the 1300 and 1100 is to create The the top talent attraction from multiple industries, including we're now attracting uh, top talent from big tech. So that's on the one hand. The other piece is data literacy. So we have launched a comprehensive online training program that's called the GM Analytics Academy. And the purpose of that program is to teach any GM professional how to accurately understand and represent data. It's designed for everyone. You do not need the science. You don't need the data science. You don't need the mathematics background. We are looking to foster an organizational-wide curiosity and a passion for data while we're building that data literacy, which again, I would predict would permeate almost every organization you could think of over the next 10 to 20 years. Uh, so hopefully that helps. It's a you could tell I'm very passionate about this point.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. So this is great. A couple things to unpack there. So I sure. said 1,200. It sounds like it's grown to 1,300.
0: It's 13. Yes.
2: So that's great. And then the AI community is this like a a separate community, or is it a Venn diagram between the data community and the AI community, where some are part of both?
0: Some are part of both. Okay. Uh, but I would say they're they're probably it, a substantial number of AI professionals who are not in that original 1,300 group, and that's actually why, you know, I decided to host for the second time uh, this AI summit uh, because it felt like we weren't drawing in the entire uh, group of uh, people. So the three, just to give you a sense of of the reach here, the three executive sponsors uh, for this. Uh, certainly, myself from a, a data and analytics perspective, because to your point, I want as many of the thirteen hundred to join the AI community as, as possible. But I also had uh, Kent Hilfrich, who heads up our R and D, right? Because if you think about the R and D function, of course, uh, AI you know is a, is a big part of that. Uh, and then Dan Nicholson, who runs a number of our engineering programs. So you've got engineering, R and D data and analytics, and it's 1,100 professionals across those communities. And of course, IT, IT professionals exist in both, right? Both the data analytic community and the AI community. So my guess is there's probably as much non-overlap as there is overlap. That would be my guess.
2: Okay. But very much cross-functional, widespread um, you can't do AI without data. That's right. So enabling that. And then you touched on this data literacy, yeah. and I'm familiar <laughs> with, um, I believe it's Sherry Marshall yes, who helped um, pioneer <laughs> some of this under your leadership. And if you drill down a little further here, so sure. there's a statistic from Accenture how on average, only 21% of business people are competent. Now, I do think about this word competent with their data literacy or data fluency skills. You used the word curiosity and passion. What is your formula for enabling data literacy for the non-analysts, these engineering and R&D heads? How do you how do you spark that and keep it going?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Uh, I I think there are a few things, uh, Cindy, that that we focus on. One of the, uh, <laughs> you know, I uh, you didn't ask me about this in my background, but I'll I'll offer it up anyway. It's interesting that the chief data and analytics officer for General Motors does not have a degree in data science. Right. One, would, one would think you'd have to have the degree in it. And uh, I, I don't agree with that premise. I don't agree with that premise in virtually any function uh, that exists in, in, in any company. So one of, the, one of the things that I talked about, we're very focused on inclusion. And we, we have two ERGs uh, that came together for a joint event, to your point around, uh, you know, Transferable skills. You know what are the skills required? How do you interview? Uh, all of those types of core competencies. So the European connections and the Asian connections ERGs came together, uh, and I was speaking at that, and and uh, a senior HR uh, professional, um, Laura Jones, was there as well. And one of the things we talked about, back to something you you said, is passion. So passion. When it comes to data literacy, is really important. And that's why we put the GM uh, Analytics Academy course out there. It's to build not only the literacy itself, but just the passion and having a core competency around analyzing and presenting data in a compelling way to make decisions. And so, you know, if I go back to this, this notion of, of passion, if I think about what a mentor many, many years ago said to me, uh, Al Kelly, who is the current CEO of, of Visa, was my mentor back in my American Express days. He said it to me and many, many other executives. He said, when you look at your current job, you want to make sure you have three ingredients to drive your passion. You want to be contributing, you want to be learning, and you want to be having fun. You have to have all three right? Because you can always imagine a job where you're missing one of those three things. You're contributing and you're learning, you're not having fun. No good. You're going to burn out of that job at some point. You're contributing, you're having fun, but you're not learning, right? Well, that's no good in the long run either, right? You're not developing, right? And then you're learning, you're having fun, you're not contributing. Well, where's the innate value of what you're doing day to day, uh, how is that laddering up to what Mary is talking about, right? In terms of our connected uh, electric vehicle future, right? So you have to have all three. And what we're trying to do in that data literacy program uh, is really around the learning part. Are you learning? Are you getting new skills as a non-data professional so that we are seeing the passion, uh, you know, kind of throughout? So let me give you... An example. I think you'll you'll really like this example of what this can look and feel like when it's starting to work uh, at scale. Okay, so you you may remember uh, earlier last uh, early, in early October, we had a GM Investor Day, uh, and it was met with a terrific response from the investment community, which is really really great. Uh, that. Was our opportunity to walk investors through Mary's vision, the vision of our company, the vision of the industry, uh, and how we are transforming General Motors from a traditional automaker to a platform innovator. Well, for me, the most exciting uh, part of that was the preparation for Investor Day. Very exciting to be to see all the positive uh, momentum afterwards. Yeah, but the preparation. I found very, very exciting as, as our uh, data chief and our analytics officer here, because I was an integral part of that preparation. It was so awesome to be able to geek out <laughs> on how to derive, how to present, how to act on valuable data insights, uh, you know, because I do that all day. But the piece that I felt was, uh, just put it over the top uh, for me experientially, was that my peers in other functions or geeking out with me to build that storyline for Investor Day and to make data and analytics a foundational element to that story. So when I go back to financial services, right? that's where I learned how to do data and analytics. Uh, Other industries, I'm sure, healthcare, telecom, as we talked about, data and analytics have long been embedded in the strategic planning process in those industries. What I'm pleased about is i am seeing a rapid uptake here at general motors in data and analytics being a part of that strategic story data and analytics being a part of every person in every function and how they think about it and how how they think about advancing their function to me because i you know i've only been with gm since january the progress from january to now it's it's just breathtaking to me yeah I'm glad you allowed me to riff on that a little bit.
2: (laughs) No, no, it's good. So I think there's two points there that we want to emphasize. Yeah. For some CDOs who there's articles out there saying the CDO, the one that really is not in the C-suite, you clearly are very much in the C-suite having earned your seat at the table. And then the second thing that I took from that is you have the whole C-suite passionate, about data and analytics,
0: hundred uh, percent. In fact, I, I remember going back to when I was interviewing uh, for this role, and I you know I didn't know what to think. We're in the middle of the pandemic. I can't even meet every, anybody, right? It's all over Zoom, like uh, we are today. And I remember talking to Steve Carlisle, who heads up GM North America for uh, for for uh, General Motors. And his passion for data and analytics, you know, we were literally finishing each other's sentences on where we could go from here. Uh, I was talking to Randy Mott, who is our CIO, and it was the same thing. And, you know, that conversation was a little different. How do we bring data platforms together with data and analytics to power things like we've never seen before? You know, particularly from an AI and a a machine learning perspective, and of course, my direct leader, Alan Wexler, who comes uh, also comes from a different industry, right? Of uh, of digital, uh, and uh, really turning businesses like the NFL, where I came from, that were largely in person and uh, you know product based, into digital. Product businesses. That's, that's really Alan's background. And so we were finishing each other's sentences on how data and analytics is so foundational to that, right? Subscription services. Now we'll always be in the business, of course, of making awesome vehicles. You know, we love our vehicles. To be able to take digital products and put that on top with Edward Coomer joining us, it, it's, uh, it's just so inspirational. It really is.
2: Yeah, and I think that gets back to you made the comment that some organizations wouldn't or would require somebody at your level to have a degree in data science. Where I would push back on that is, well, wait a minute, that degree didn't exist 20 <laughs> years ago or 30 years ago for me when I was in college then. But um, but the other thing is, is that we have been graduating too many people that know the math or the coding, but they don't know how to apply it in the domain. Yes. And it sounds like you're focusing much more on the domain.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and, and one comment on on your uh, college experience, I guess you were 10 years old when when you got your college <laughs> degree. Um, so, <laughs> uh, but coming back to the, the core competence, I, I think, and, and I talked about this at our GM AI Summit uh, last week. There's domain expertise, number one, uh, to your point. I, I think having great math and science skills are important, but they're, they're not a, a full package, right? You, of course, you have to have the math and science or you have to have transferable yes. skills that will work. You know, I would say I would take that passionate person, the analogy I always use is I would take the passionate person who I could drop into a textile mill in the middle of the Midwest somewhere, and that person will figure it out. I'd, I'd rather have that than the person with the exact academic background. And in fact, as you look at many of the job descriptions uh, that we are pulling together, because we evolve uh, as we're a learning organization, we're we're becoming far more inclusive in the way that we're writing our job specs. And so, gone are the days of you must have these X, Y, and Z degrees. You know, today, it's the day of what experiences today uh, do you have that you believe you can leverage with us tomorrow, right? And do you have the passion points to really, to really sink your teeth into it and, and, uh, you know, and, and get it done? You know, do you love this industry? Do you love where this industry is going? That's, that's really where, more, you know, where we're going uh, more in a, in a big way these days.
2: Yeah. And I think that gets to recruiting for aptitude rather than just current skills, is one of the ways to improve diversity in tech and in AI. Yeah. But if I can also ask you one more practical point about the Analytics Academy. Yeah. So oftentimes, when we talk about data literacy, we talk about how it's really teaching the language of the business and what are the touch points that data has. So is this something that GM developed internally, or did you work with local or or external consulting or academia to develop the materials for the academy?
0: Largely, it was a joint uh, work product, I would say, skewed in many ways to our internal teams. So much of the coursework was developed internally. That said, it's always great to have an external uh, validation point and, and sounding boards with consultants, but also universities. So when when I was helping my daughter search for colleges, she's a freshman in college. Many of the colleges we visited were building for the first time ever data science programs, and I found that to be very interesting because I said to myself, we could probably learn a lot, right, with university collaborations on how to get. An analytics academy uh, to hit its stride, uh, because you know here here are university professionals who are focused on on doing that at a uh, at an educational level. Some of the attributes that we teach in the analytics academy are speaking in the vernacular of the business, right? So, how do we talk about data concepts from descriptive analytics to predictive analytics? How do we talk about those? Concepts in a business-friendly way. AI, as much as we love AI, is a very business-unfriendly vernacular. You know, AI tends to scare the average uh, non-data executive to say, "Well, I'm not sure I understand that. I don't understand the inputs and the outputs, so I'm not sure I want to develop an AI program." Right. So we're trying to we're trying to build a competency and a teaching program that says, even if you venture in as the leader of your function into AI, you have to make it explainable. The second piece is data presentment, analytic presentment. It is very easy for data professionals and non-data professionals alike to present very, very unstructured findings. And that's not helpful because you, it's very hard to get to the essence of what the actionable insight is. So, uh, you know, it, it, executives and businesses like General Motors, like the NFL, like American Express—they're impatient. They don't want the mystery novel. They don't want to go through the whole journey. <laughs> they want the soundbite. You start with the soundbite, the short story, and then you can have all of your backup. So, data presentment is really, really important. And then the third piece, and I would view this as most important, particularly from an AI perspective, is data for good.
2: Oh, yes.
0: Yeah. So there are so many places <laughs> that data and AI and it can go sideways on us in, in a hurry. So supervised AI and ML is one of the big things we talked about at the summit, right? Because we know. What can happen with unsupervised ML and AI? You know, suddenly, you know, many many companies, we won't name names, but many companies have allowed ML and AI to permeate, as an example, their HR automation processes. And all of a sudden, they have unintended bias in their hiring practices. You know, you can never, you know, not not to use the matrix as an example, but the matrix, (laughs) is kind of what can happen in an unsupervised ML and AI environment. So those are the kinds of things, Cindy, that we're trying to get across in our uh, analytics academy. Uh, And so far, so good. You know, really, really great reception so far.
2: Yeah. So thank you for, Ewell, for diving into the how, but also the content uh really what you talked about was data storytelling and data for good, or as I say, data for good or data for evil, <laughs> I think, um, are things that we want to avoid. You also mentioned the predictive analytics. And I want to come back to uh, the mission and vision laid out with zero crashes and a new emerging technology and set of capabilities that I know the automotive industry is working on to prevent these zero crashes is using data from sensors to act as an early warning. If a road is out of commission or a tree just fell down, or maybe you're going to have a maintenance issue and sharing this, um, I'd like to ask how far along is GM in its thinking or execution here. And when I look at the sharing approaches that organizations are trying here, Mm -hmm. I'm hearing either blockchain or the sharing capabilities in the cloud data platform. So is there Mm. one approach that you think is having more traction?
0: It's interesting that you talk about sensors. Uh, So I'll talk a bit about our Semi-autonomous, uh, you know, assisted autonomous, right? Uh, capability we call it super cruise, and uh, certainly GM, like many other uh, manufacturers, uses sensors. We use video sensors, radar, you know, all of uh, all of the sensors that we have available to us. And I, I think that's very good. And there's an enormous uh, opportunity to use that data for good. To your point, to avoid crashes, to avoid congestion. You know, to alert our our customers about uh, upcoming traffic and things like that. I think what differentiates uh, General Motors from many others is our history and safety, right? So if you go back 25 years, I believe we are the first company to use uh, OnStar, right? So satellite-enabled data capture uh, for the purposes of vehicle safety, right? Enabling emergency personnel to get to a customer you know, who may be having a problem with their car, flat tire, or may have even gotten into an accident. And so if, if I think about our deep rooted passion right, for, for safety and the differentiated approach, I believe it's a differentiated approach to a semi-autonomous driving like Super Cruise, what differentiates is a few things. You know, one is, and I'm not saying anything that's uh, not out there, because the supercruise is already on the road we very much care if the driver is alert and ready to take over. in the event, as you said, there's construction in front of us, right? And so there is a sensor within the vehicle that senses whether or not the driver is paying attention, even when that, auto- that semi-autonomous supercruise is on. And if the person is not paying attention. The seat vibrates. There's a message on the screen. It says Super Cruise is now turning off, right? And that's the safety element. And so when we see, our vehicles see material deviations between the maps that we're continuously updating and what the sensor is telling us, perhaps in a future state, we will also say Super Cruise is turning off. Why is that? Well, you're probably going through a construction zone now. Right. If there's a material difference between what the sensor is saying in our map, probably construction, probably an accident. So, you know, better to be safe in in these scenarios.
2: Well, the other thing um, that I've heard you talk about is, you know, organizations often think about the structured data and the internal data first, Hmm. and we can debate what's more valuable but this vehicle data is a new data source and yes. new data pools requiring in a way a new skill set and new role to manage that. How are you tackling that, and ultimately, how does that impact customer experience?
0: Uh, we have a a lot of passion for what we call data platforms. So one of the things that my team uh, owns as a central uh, part of that 1300 and 1100 community are core data platforms, like what you just said, vehicle telemetry. So that platform we, we call our enterprise data layer. right? Today, it's the enormous, uh, enormously valuable telemetry data, again, from a safety perspective. Tomorrow, it could be other types of in-vehicle data that, uh, that we could be capturing, again, for the benefit of the consumer. That is, to, in my experience, working at the NFL, working at American Express, data assets like that, they benefit from being centralized, but then democratized with all of the different functions across the company. So whether it's the safety teams, the sales teams, customer experience teams, or marketing teams, they will all have access to that. So I head up a committee, it's a, it's a very senior committee here at General Motors, called the Data and Analytics Strategy Committee. One of the core tenets of that committee is to make sure we're all okay as uh, C-level executives across the enterprise around platform assets like this, like the enterprise data layer. You know, Another one, which is somewhat obvious, but it does really hard, is one view of the customer. So we have so many different ways that we touch our customers. Uh, through the dealer, through our website, through an in-vehicle experience, through the apps. We, again, we're the central uh, owners with uh, our IT colleagues to build that as a democratized platform with clean data. So one of the other things we talked about at the AI Summit last week is that data preparation in many ways is far more important than having the world's best AI program. Because if, if we don't prepare the data, we're likely going to have AI and ML algorithms that don't work. Yeah. They are just not going to work.
2: You're training it on bad data or data with huge gaps and biases.
0: Absolutely. And so we, you know, we, we believe by having a central team that, spends, that sweats it out every day and every hour to make sure we have data quality, that we have data governance, and we have a structured approach to democratizing these data assets, that's the way to win in the long term. So those are just a couple. We have about a handful of, uh, of data platforms that, that we're driving right now.
2: Yeah. So I like this idea of, of centralized but democratized and definitely data transformation in an agile way is key. Yeah. I want to, as, as we kind of start to wrap up, Iwau, I want to come back to something we started with because everyone in the world is trying to figure out how to get the best talent from anywhere in the world or anywhere in the country. As you think about managing this hybrid workforce, has the visibility into people analytics changed in priorities, yes. and how do you make sure that people are not, who are not near one of your hubs, whether it's New York or Detroit, how they feel connected to the culture and included with the team?
0: So that's a great point. Um, so we have two different types of work styles. One is remote, but the important thing on remote is remote is not remote. Remote still says on a quarterly basis, uh, folks will collaborate in one of our regional collaboration and innovation centers. So I mentioned uh, Detroit as, as one of our innovation centers. We now have a full national footprint with an executive, an executive leader in each of those areas. So, of course, in Southeast Michigan, we have a, uh, a wonderful innovation center within our Warren campus. And we have four executives there. Uh, I toggle, as you know, between Detroit and New York. So I'm anchoring the, the New York Innovation Center. So while we do have a hybrid operating model for folks, to your point, who are very, very close to an innovation center, who could actually spend a few days a month in our innovation center, even our remote folks We'll be together at a minimum on a quarterly basis. And then I hit all of our innovation centers on a very regular basis. So the remote team will, will certainly see me on an in-person basis fairly frequently. The other thing, and there was a great article on back in 2018, this was before the pandemic, that talked about the 10 great things that, that great leaders do. And number one on the list was communication and information sharing. You know, which was very prescient, given uh, what happened. You know, with the pandemic and yeah. everybody went uh, remote. So what I what I do uh, in the spirit of that is every other week, I have an all people meeting on a remote basis. These are completely remote, remotely done over Microsoft Teams, and so no one is ever feeling like they're out of touch because they're feeling. You know they're feeling the the bear hug right every other week as to what's happening and why our data programs are are you know working so well. The other thing I would say is with our national footprint, you talked about inclusion, uh, our ability to recruit top talent, our ability to hire inclusive talent, has gone up uh, multifold because of our national hiring strategy, because we're in this work appropriately uh, environment. We're now getting regularly over 1,000 applications a month for our open positions. We hired over 100 people uh, this year alone uh, to join the team. And we, you know, we have just a, you know, an amazing ability to attract talent. But I'd close with, we can also retain great talent. Okay so we've had many people who've had life changes you know uh, it happens across a large team like we we have
2: All right well so these are these are the good side of things we do hope this is the more equitable and inclusive world and work from everywhere um so i i think that's great insights on the timing of when you bring people back together thank you for sharing that I want to be respectful of your time, EWOW, and I feel like there's so many other things we could, <laughs> we could talk about. And I like to do a lightning round, but maybe I'll just ask you, um, sure. who do you read? Who do you listen to to stay up with all, all of this?
0: Oh, that's a great point. Uh, I don't read or, or follow any particular person. What I prefer to do, because I'm more of an in-person interaction learner, is I spend a lot of time in interactions like this. Uh, and in um, CDO slash CAO panels, you know, I find learning from other leaders who have similar positions but maybe facing different opportunities in different industries is a great place for us. So I, you know, I'd wrap with a couple of things. We are uh, I, I'm General Motors representative on a consortium that's called the Data and Trust Alliance, and what I've learned from the 20 other data professionals. They might be chief privacy officers, the head of legal, chief scientists, CIOs. What I've learned in that forum has been a huge education for me on a personal basis. And I've been able to give back in many ways uh, to GM and to the extended community where, you know, I do mentor a lot of people in in the industry and outside the industry, so.
2: Yeah, and and that's such an important forum that just formed in the last couple of years. Yes, if you think about the last year, the last two years has been so tumultuous. <laughs> so I'll let you choose. You you can choose to answer either what are you most grateful for, or something oh. that's made you just laugh out loud, tears running down your cheeks. Funny.
0: Uh, well, I'll, I'll choose the first one. I'm I'm most grateful for uh, family. You know it, And especially with GM, I, I have coined a term with a very close colleague of mine, uh, Santiago uh, Chamorro here, who heads up South America for us. Uh, I, I don't really like the term work-life balance. What GM allows us to do with work appropriately is work-life harmony, right? We shouldn't have to balance one against the other. We should be able to be great people at work and great people in the family setting. So that to me is what I'm most grateful for. So I'm, I'm able to do that now.
2: Yeah, I like this word harmony because I think your daughter is also a talented musician. Or am I yes. misremembering yes, that? Is. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And she's continuing with that in her uh, in her college studies. She's going to be an architecture major, but she is in the university orchestra. So she she's keeping with it.
2: <laughs> oh, that's wonderful, Ewel. Ewell, thank you for being
0: a guest on The Data Chief. Thank you for having me. It's a wonderful conversation.
1: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Data Chief. To learn more about today's guest, recommend a future guest, or hear more of the show, head over to thedatachief.com. If you have questions for Cindy or comments about the episode, give her a shout by dropping your thoughts on LinkedIn and tagging Cindy Housen. Join her on LinkedIn live the first Thursday of each month for a live version of the data chief where she'll share best practices and take your questions live. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe rate and review the show. Every review helps more people discover the podcast and helps us improve our content. The Data Chief is brought to you by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. Finding insights in your company's data doesn't have to be complicated. All you need is search. With ThoughtSpot, anyone in your organization can easily answer their own data questions, find facts, and make better, faster decisions. Learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Data Chief. To learn more about today's guest, recommend a future guest, or hear more of the show, head over to thedatachief.com. If you have questions for Cindy or comments about the episode, give her a shout by dropping your thoughts on LinkedIn and tagging Cindy Housen. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Every review helps more people discover the podcast and helps us improve our content. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com.